Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 11 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Rich Bain, I'm a horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, I'm a guy who makes disgusting films. You certainly are. And and, uh, joining us tonight on the Skype coming in from LA, you know him best as the director of Patchwork and Tragedy Girls. Uh, Delighted to be joined tonight by Mr. Tyler McIntyre. Tyler, hello. Hey guys, thanks so much for having me. No, thanks for doing this, thanks for taking the time. So let's uh, let's launch straight into this thing. You have chosen for tonight, 1992's uh, John Carpenter. I was going to say comedy, but it's all things to all men. This one, yeah. Uh, you've got uh, you've gone for uh, memoirs of an invisible man. So, show you're working. Why did you choose this for tonight? <laughs> oh well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of uh, it has a bit of a special spot in my heart. Uh, like I watched this movie kind of just at the right age. I think like I I was like maybe eight when it came out. And, uh, and I was, you know, I thought Chevy Chase was hilarious and, and it just like, you know, Daryl Hannah was beautiful and Sam Neill's a great fucking villain. Like the whole ensemble really worked. And I, it was the first like invisible person thing I was exposed to. And I just thought it was such a great idea. And, um, so anyway, and then I, I was kind of, uh, dismayed to realize like, you know, in, in high school that everyone fucking hates this movie for some reason, <laughs> like it just didn't do well. Uh, you know, like, and it, uh, um, you know, it just doesn't really have that much of uh, respect, like in the canon of John Carpenter movies, especially. And so I just uh, thought it was, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a perfect uh, thing to, uh, you know, suggest for something like this, where I, I can you know, maybe make the case for redemption a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a cool thing because I mean, uh, we've had John Carpenter films before. We had um, we had an episode on In the Mouth of Madness, but like that's. I think that it's kind of it's easier to make a case that that film is a little bit more culty amongst horror fans and it kind of has an audience in that way. Whereas this, it's kind of, it's a little bit of an anomaly for Carpenter, but also kind of both critically and commercially, it's a little bit, it doesn't really hit either note. So I think that it's a pretty good call for this format because obviously Carpenter's such a horror guy, but this is kind of such a kind of sore thumb in his uh, in oeuvre, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and it's also like it's not particularly like scary or or at all gruesome, really. Like the, it's, um, you know, it's it's a it's really a, an adventure comedy, you know, in a, and in a very 90s way, um, you know, like it's, you know, it has a lot of action and a kind of a lot of like four quadrant sort of stuff going on. And and therefore, I think it, it like turns off a lot of, like, you know, the like, I mean, as horror fans, you're kind of like, you know, feel like you kind of take pride in like feeling like a bit of an outsider and like, I like something that the other people can't handle kind of stuff. Whereas <laughs> this is just too accessible or intended to be too accessible so that it's like there's nothing punk rock about liking a fucking Chevy Chase movie. You know what I'm mean? <laughs> saying? And so it's it's it, it, it's tough to, 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 you know, obtain that cult status when, when you're not edgy at all. Yeah, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. It's a good assessment. Before we jump into this, uh, there's something we do every week. Andy, have we got 30 seconds on the clock? So, Tyler, every now and again, we hear from people who have listened to episodes of the show without having watched the films. 
we're gonna we kind of take a minute to speak to those people. So we're gonna give you thirty seconds to do your best synopsis of Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Are you good to go? Oh Jesus Christ! I didn't realize this, this was such a game show. But sure, yes. <laughs> hey, right, Tyler. These uh, have had varying success in the past. Yeah, these have gone from unbelievably succinct with like finished with like fourteen seconds to go to shocking to people who we've had to cut off before they have got to the end of the first act to people who've been right on the buzzer. So you got, right, you set? Um, yeah, let's <laughs> give it a shot. Right, three, two, one, go. So Nick is a uh, advertising executive played by Chevy Chase, who's kind of half-assed. He's a little bit of a of a ladies' man, but he lives a very slowly kind of uh, kind of alienated life in the city. And then one day he's uh, arrives for work late after meeting a beautiful woman played by Daryl Hannah, and he ends up uh, becoming invisible as part of an experiment gone awry. And then the government is after him, and he must save the lady he loves. Well, okay. okay, that was pretty good. That was right on the money. You literally got to the you got to the end of the last sentence as the time ran out there. Yeah, the first ten pages really was the first twenty seconds, and I just ran through the rest of it. But, uh, <laughs> it could have been worse, guys. I'm saying. Oh no, it has been. Oh yeah, no, it that's has been. You're definitely, I would say, in like definitely the top twenty percent of people who have attempted that so far. <laughs> uh, so let's jump straight in. So um, I would say this is so this is one of the few Carpenter films that you didn't score. That's true. And I would say that from the off, that is apparent. Uh, this was another uh, Chevy Chase decision, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, the the uh, composer was Chevy's decision. Much, uh, I think, much the same as a lot of things that happen in this film were Chevy's decision. Ivan Reitman was originally the director of this, and he had a uh, disagreement with Chevy, and uh, that uh, led to him being replaced by John Carpenter. So it really is the Chevy Chase show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and... and- in Chevy Chase's defense, which is not a phrase that I'll say that much, I guess, but um, it's, uh, uh, you know, like, you got to think of that this is 1992, all right? Like, we're coming off the 80s, and, like, that's, like, synth music and everything, and now it's starting to, we're starting to see a reaction against that stuff. And uh, and John Carpenter, like, that's, like, his, you know, brand, like, a, a lot of, um, and so, like, it's easy to appropriate, uh, you know, to um, appreciate that stuff now. Uh, because you know, '80s throwback stuff is, is is cool right now, but like in the '90s, it was just old hat. So you know, you, and you're competing. You know, like like the next year, Jurassic Park comes out with a big fucking John Williams score. Like like I understand why uh, why they'd want to go a different direction. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, like this is a this is a Warner Brothers production. I think, and like it's it's the kind of decision that would be informed by yeah. what is starting to sound a little played out and kind of looking towards what might be kind of more accessible and newer. Also, I think it's a romantic comedy drama. There's perhaps not the place for a brooding synth soundtrack. Yeah, that's that. That's definitely true. Like <laughs> it's um, you know, like it is pretty feel good family fair. But it's also a forty million dollar movie. You know, in the nineties, like that's a that's a huge budget. Like like I mean, I, I mean, I actually wish I had maybe done a little bit more research. But do we like that? It might actually. I think it might actually be the biggest budget that Carpenter ever worked with. I would imagine that to be. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't pretty accurate. That. No, that's that's uh, if, if if that's not true, it certainly sounds true, which is as important. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and also like I think it's important to kind of like realize that like there's such a diminished scale to the movie too. Like it's not like it's fucking Escape from New York where it's like attempting to be a big epic thing. Uh, you know, like it's just about a guy who's on the run from the government. Like it's like North by Northwest, you know. Yeah, I mean, I suppose yeah, like, if, if that budget is right, then its storytelling ambitions, I guess, within that are kind of are fairly modest, you could say. 
yeah. But that said, it you know I think it only made like you know fifteen at the box office or something like that. So like yeah, like you know so, I mean it shows what shows what uh, what uh, type of success it was. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, well, I'm I'm gonna try and pull together those numbers before we before the before we finish. Yeah, us. before we finish. Right, up. Yeah, okay. So um, uh, I really like the intro to Nick Chevy Chase's character that you get. Mm-hmm. I think that that's great, and I would say that um and Tyler, full disclosure, I was watching this for the first time. Oh, great! Uh, hey, for I'm this. Glad you, uh, Took time. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, uh, like, generally, I kind of bow to Andy's superior knowledge quite a lot of the time. A lot of the things that we watch for the show, I'm seeing for the first time. Uh, that's been the case with most of them so far, um, which I think is interesting because a lot of the time people are coming in and they have kind of, like you say, you saw this when you were eight, and it's kind of, it's kind of deep seated childhood attachments to things. In fairness, and full disclosure from myself, I didn't see this till way late in my exposure to John Carpenter. I was probably 24 or 25 when I saw this for the first time. I'm 38 now. Well, 38 this year, but very much late on. I had seen more of John Carpenter's other work before I ever got around to this. So it's kind of interesting that we're all coming in having seen this at very different points. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, I I, I do think there's like a bit of a um, problem with like seeing movies early because you, you know you tend to kind of like if, if they're a big part of your childhood you tend to kind of like have this um perspective on them which which i think is, is hard to shake like for instance like a lot of people saw you know like like really love the goonies you know like mm-hmm. and it's something that you know that like it's very much part of their childhood and it's very like you cannot convince them that movie's not amazing and and, and like i didn't again didn't see it till i until i was like 24 or 25 like i was aware of it but i just never it wasn't uh, you know one of the one of the movies that i i grew up watching and therefore, like, do not give a shit about it, you know, like in, in, in the same way that uh, is probably might be even be unfair. But like, it, it's just uh, like, uh, so I, I think there's a lot of danger in that nostalgia. Yeah, I, I think the other side of that coin for me is that when I hear people talking about these things, I kind of wish I'd seen them younger as well. And the same like, and I kind of like, I wish I had like, because I kind of wish I had more affection for more films I'd seen when I was younger. Just uh, fairly yeah. recently, I revisited Ghoulies. Okay. I was obsessed with Ghoulies when I was younger. Uh, it was one of those films I would rent. We had a van that used to come round, like a video rental van. So this guy would like, he had like a little notebook and he would rent you films out the back of his van. And uh, I used to rent go- Ghoulies, and he didn't give a fuck what age you were. Uh, and he, I used to rent Ghoulies off him all the time when I was younger. And I thought it was amazing. And then I revisited it recently and I... I kind of wish I had never wish I had never gone back to it. I have a few films <laughs> like that. Yeah, like, do, do, do you have that at all? It's like something that you've like you've been super attached to when you were a kid, but to the extent that you're kind of reluctant to revisit on the off chance that it's, that it doesn't hold up. Yeah, I, I actually uh, that happens to me. I think more with because um, I, I mean I I've, I think started to appreciate films contextually a little bit better. Like, you know, where it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, it was the early 90s and therefore it's okay that, you know, Lethal Weapon's so sexist or whatever, you know, <laughs> like it's it, things like that that are like totally fine. But I find that it, it hurts like television shows a lot more. Right. Um, because it's like things are a little bit rushed and they're not quite as thought through. And so like you watch like an actual episode of like, you know, an old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like, uh, you know, like cartoon. It's just like this is junk. <laughs> like and, and it's like rushed and it doesn't make any sense and it's just like there's a lot of like just mis- like animation mistakes and just things you don't like you know care about when you're a kid but but now you're just like what was I doing you know <laughs> and, uh, you know how did this become what it was and it's it's just really funny to me I, like that's, that's precisely the reason why I kind of give childhood stuff a wide berth. <laughs> 
Um, the film starts with probably the most conspicuous spies or kind of black ops group I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> you've got the guy with the enormous infrared goggles that are laughably large on his face, and the secret van with the portholes in the side. It's like a it's like a dry cleaning van or something, but it's got these two enormous portholes in the side that they're peering out of. <laughs> That's before you even get a glimpse at Nick. Well, in, in all fairness, he is invisible. Well, of course, of course he is. Yeah, of course true. he is. It starts with him being invisible, that, and that does make perfect sense. Um, yeah, like I. I I love how how you're introduced to him visually. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I think especially the whole kind of uh, the chewing the bubble gum and blowing the bubble thing. But also, I think uh, the the whole way that uh, it's framed with him kind of telling his story ends up serving yeah. the kind of feel of the film really well. Yeah, definitely. It's really noir-ish uh, in, in a way that I don't think gets a lot of respect. Like it's 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 definitely like you know uh, obviously kind of a double indemnity sort of opening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I also think that they put their best foot forward with the effects. Like those are like old school, like you know, early optical stuff, and, and like a lot of like practical effects that are pretty that really I think hold up. Yeah, I, I think the combination of the practicals and the more digital stuff, like the having a chair that glides around and that can move, and things the, the practical things that can bump around on a table, it sells your digital stuff far better. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I again, I have a bit of a soft spot for like that, like ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, where you had like the the most high tech practical effects that were just starting to be displaced by digital stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, like I, I really like movies from that era because they they were they weren't afraid to spend on effects. Yeah. Um, and who who they spent money on were generally pretty good. And so those, you know, and it took you know digital a long time to catch up, and arguably maybe even it hasn't. But yeah, I, I so so uh, that's uh, I think an important thing to you know like even people who don't like the movie seem to kind of respect the effects. Yeah, I, I think, think it's pretty pretty well done across the board. Yeah, definitely for the most part. So as he starts telling his story, you get introduced to him, kind of like. Nick as was kind of pre-invisibility um and uh you kind of see him in his job and being kind of like evidently pretty successful but also kind of a slacker yeah he's really kind of a piece of shit which I I I can always get behind um uh you know like he's an advertising guy so so immediately you're just kind of like oh dear god and then um and then he's also kind of an alcoholic and he also doesn't seem Mm -hmm. to like really care about anybody and I that's part of what I actually really like about it like when uh, like not when I was so much when I was a kid but like when I got older like there's something very mean spirited about uh, Chevy Chase's comedy, yeah. and uh, and and I think that's like really fallen out of fashion in the last you know uh, like you know, uh, a bunch of years. Like you know, um, but, but it, this movie I think really um, kind of cashes in on the the, path, the the pathos of that in in a very meaningful way. Mm-hmm. You know, credit to to whoever wrote wrote the script or or, or not maybe the novel that's based on which I haven't read, but. But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's something very sad about these sorts of uh, about Chevy Chase in general that history has shown us, yeah. and I think that this movie, kind of, uh, you know, uh, cuts to it in a very real way, even though it's in such a genre shell. Well, Nick, Nick kind of tries um, even early on. He's actually living a kind of invisible life. Like, even when his best friend's in that restaurant kind of early on, he doesn't want to really spend any time with him. The only reason he does is because Daryl Hannah's there. Um, Alice, even yeah, yeah. when he's in his office, he doesn't really want to speak to people. He doesn't want to attend these meetings. So he's kind of, he's quite an insular character. Yeah, he's quite withdrawn. And actually, I feel like, Tyler, you're reading my notes because I've got down here that he's a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, it, it was really hard to ca- catch uh, the glimpse at it through Skype, but I think I managed pretty well. <laughs> I need to um, put my cards closer <laughs> to my chest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I, to be honest, I really like the setup with uh, Daryl Hannah. Like, I think it's, uh, it's an uncharacteristically uh, romantic scene for Carpenter. Like, he doesn't really isn't a guy known for his strong romances. That's and, true. That's and, certainly I, true. 
anyway, I, I think it's every bit as good as, uh, um, you know, a lot of um, like Hitchcockian type romance stuff. Um, Michael McKean is in this, and I think he's brilliant all the time. And he is superb for the duration of this film. He really is. He is my MVP again throughout the duration of this film. I could watch Michael McKean in anything. Yeah, totally. I mean, and bringing the comic relief, like really, um, you know, deep into the uh, into the story. And there's that great payoff with him at the end. You know, he's really kind of the only, you know, the closest thing to a friend that that Nick has in this movie. But definitely, but they they definitely get all they can out of. Uh, like, I really like that sequence where where he he has to like hide in the house yeah. when they're all, uh, uh, you know, there for the weekend or whatever. That's um. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like you say, I think we've we've kind of got to this that he after work he heads out with. Uh, George. George, thank you. And um, meets Alice, and they have some sort of romantic altercation in the bathroom. Yeah, something goes on in the bathroom. Um, we see some kissing. It may be more than that, but it's never explored. Yeah, we can only speculate. I would say that Nick is kind of like pretty smooth with Alice once he hits his stride. I think that there's a. I think that some of the kind of awkward stuff that they have initially is really funny. Yeah, I mean, it's a classic, like, meet cute type of thing, and then, um, you know, it's, it's implied <laughs> it's a little bit more. Uh... You know, again, this is like really like, you know, like New York, like 90s dating type of shit. Like, and he's kind of a yuppie kind of character. Yeah. So like this was like what passed for romance at the time was like, you know, <laughs> going at it in the bathroom. You know, I think contextually it's it's good to appreciate that. <laughs> it's one of the few things that hasn't really gone away from the 90s, certainly in my <laughs> life. So, um, uh, yeah, so they make a lunch today and then he is hungover at the presentation that he's kind of being dispatched to the next day. Well, he claims it's the worst hangover of his life, which... Which yeah, I mean, like even it, my slight, the slightest hangover for me. One, I'm not going to work. Two, I'm in the toilet being sick. Um, so kudos to him for even making it that long. And kind of in the spirit of that, he does make it, but eventually he um nips out for a nap. Yeah, it's at this point that you get your kind of uh, your catalyst moment. Uh, okay, yeah, 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 indeed. Where uh some coffee is spilled over one of my favorite things um in terms of something that just looks very nineties are all of those giant computers with giant error messages. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like that that's all it takes, too. Like, it, it's a real, like, whoa, who the fuck knows what a computer does kind of, <laughs> kind of. Again, it's, like, one of those things that I just don't care about. It, you know, it kind of just falls into this general idea of, like, suspension of disbelief. Oh, totally. Not, not every fucking Jurassic Park where it's like, oh, what a great idea. You know, it's this brilliant, like, DNA from dinosaurs and amber and all this, you know, plot shit that's like, oh, that's fucking magical. And here it's just kind of like, oh, this dude spilled coffee on this thing and made everyone invisible. And, you know, it's not a big deal, like. Like, I, I like that that's a thing. Like, yeah, anyway, they, it's very funny. They do not take a slight second of their own time to explain the science. <laughs> I, think oh, it's, I think it's infinitely stronger for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, was... yeah, they do not give a shit about, like, how yeah. one becomes invisible. Yeah. Well, like, I think I think this is something we've hit on a couple of times in this podcast in previous episodes, though, where I think that, like, um, if you need to get to a point, I think that, um, a point in the story, then I think that sometimes affording that fairly limited explanation is yeah. kind of the best way to do it. One thing you would think would be pivotal, though, would be uh, a no drinks near your workstation sign. You wouldn't get away with that in 2018. I'll say if that there much. was a slightest possibility of that level of, <laughs> I guess, fuck up, um, y- y- I mean, you just wouldn't. I really... See, the subsequent evacuation yeah. has one of my favourite shots in the film, which is uh, the shot of everyone kind of fleeing out of the... like lab or you know where all the kind of where everything is from magnoscopics and <laughs> magnoscopics industries thank you very much yes magnoscopic industries you see everyone fleeing out of the lab room but also just like you see the sparks flying kind of in and out yeah. of shocks it's kind of framed by the doorway and then you see the glass doors closing then the main doors as it emptied out that was like that was a nice moment but so yeah there's an explosion but i have it in my notes as explosion 
Right, Question okay. mark. Okay, uh, some some zaps, some sparks. Yeah, it's just kind of a phasing, I guess. I don't know. Uh, one thing that's kind of a loose end is like is like not to jump ahead here, but you know, like like once they start looking into the building and he wakes up and realizes it's invisible and all that uh-huh. stuff, then the building just fucking disappears. Like it kind of like you know like like envelops itself or whatever. That left me with this weird terminal idea, like oh, that's going to happen to him eventually, and <laughs> yeah. they just drop the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do kind of touch on the fact that the building's unstable because I actually really love the effect of the kind of partially invisible building. I think it looks I think yeah, yeah. It's really I mean, effective, super strong imagery, which is cool. But they kind of touch on the this is really unstable. It could go invisible at any moment. Yeah, seems... yeah, yeah. Yep. But it doesn't. It doesn't just go invisible. It, it like actually like you know like implodes or something. Oh, I just assumed it went invisible. Is that false? oh yeah? I I I, I mean I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I it looked like it just kind of like actually like you know collapsed in on itself and disappeared. Uh, not just visibility wise but like like that it physically wasn't there anymore see i i i like implosion just because it makes it because just exactly for what you're saying i think that like if if it makes it makes you wonder about what the future holds for nick if that happened to the building oh well yeah and also like if it just went invisible then they would continue investigating it because there's just this giant invisible building just sitting there you know that's true like if it it imploded then the technology's gone and stuff yeah yeah true one thing i do love are are the lovely slapstick moments of people bumping into the building yeah just walking into stuff like i, I mean like I, I i think that this is it's great to see john carpenter doing like uh you know these very funny moments like usually i mean you know like james cameron has always been great at that like you know in a big genre movie like balancing comedy in there to keep everyone engaged yeah. and john carpenter does some of it but not nearly as much and it's yep. good to see him like literally like comedy foot forward and just like pulling it off yeah, aside from that, there are some really good slapstick comedy moments across the board. I, I in think general. that I think that a lot of th- this film does a lot of its best work with kind of the more slapstick and more visual comedy moments that come from him being invisible. Like a lot, a lot of my favorite strands from it are that. Yeah, totally. Um, it's uh, you know, like and and again, it's not all coming from Michael McKean, you know, but uh, yeah, as much as that, that is just gold. But uh, um, you know, like like I think Chevy Chase is legitimately very very funny in it and uh, and very sweet. And likable in a way that um, you don't, uh, you know, associate with him, you know, in this post-community time. Yeah, of course. It's around about this time that we get an introduction to uh, David Jenkins. Yep. And Sam Neill, who, like you said, Tyler's amazing in this. <laughs> I think he, and we're introduced to him in this kind of courtroom scene, where he's under some kind of scrutiny for being a kind of CIA assassin, codenamed Scorpion. Yep. For the duration of this, I can't take my eyes off him. It was the same with In the Mouth of Madness. I think Samney was fucking amazing. Well, totally, and he's in his prime. Like, there's something to just kind of seeing, like, uh, you know, an actor, you know, like at the, the top of their game, just uh, you know, doing what they do best. And I think he has kind of a, a sinister quality to him that uh, you know that, that makes him edgy in, in something like Jurassic Park. But then in this, when he just kind of is able to push it, and uh, you know, it, it can give you some really good antagonism. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I thought, like, I mean, like I say, we we did in the Mouth of Madness on this show just a couple of weeks ago, and I really enjoyed Sam Neill's performance in that. And I would say that overall, in all honesty, I prefer In the Mouth of Madness to this film. But um, I think that I almost prefer Sam Neill's performance in this because of that. Because I think that I think that being more villainous kind of serves him well. Yeah, he's allowed that. He's allowed that rope, if you like. We all know he can do hysterical, but there's, when he's doing this slightly colder thing in this. It's the same with stuff that he was in, like Sirens. When he plays somebody that's a bit weirder and a bit colder, he does great work. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think you're not alone. I think almost everybody prefers the Mouth of Madness to this movie, but uh, <laughs> not, not, not me. <laughs> 
so after kind of Nick has a kind of a fairly brief exchange with him, and eventually makes his getaway from that scene. Yeah, that's true. And um, one of my favorite one of my favorite visual jokes, and it's like a reasonably protracted visual joke in it, is when he needs to get himself back to I want to, it's San Francisco, right? Yeah. Uh, where he like knocks out the drunk guy waiting for a taxi oh, with his briefcase, and then gets in the taxi and uses it to get himself home. That's superb. Everything about that is hilarious for the duration of that joke, from him knocking him out to him getting out of the taxi. I think that everything about that is visually done so well and timing wise done so well yeah totally i mean again it's like it's very funny to see like just like like the main thrust of a of a scene being like comedic for from john carpenter which is hilarious um, and uh, and i think uh, a lot of this you know like uh, it's also um kind of a physical part and like i guess you know chevy chase is kind of a like at the time was I mean, this is just before Jim Carrey kind of showed up on the scene and really displaced like right. what it meant to be like a comedic actor. Um, and so it's kind of uh, like, you know, uh, it, it, that's why I think this movie like, you know, was almost, um, you know, became out of fashion almost immediately uh, because, uh, you know, like uh, like by the time it hit VHS, you know, everyone was watching Ace Ventura and being like, that's comedy, you know, like in the Dumb and Dumber, you know, and like all these other things that just really kind of reinvented what it meant to be funny and so like this light kind of touch is i, I guess uh, a bit of an artifact yeah i mean like do you think do you think that like the so that the short-term legacy of the film kind of suffered because everything kind of turned on a dime so sharply after that yeah i mean it's the classic like um uh, you know like there's that famous story about like caddyshack you know like that uh the one of the guys who, who made caddyshack I forget his name the guy who started national lampoon all right well they even made, made like a netflix movie about it but like it's a famous story that like he went and saw airplane and then just got super depressed because he realized that like Caddyshack was nowhere near as the type of funny that Airplane was, right. and so therefore it was going to be like its legacy was going to be non-existent because people were going to see that movie and just be like, "Well, this isn't this isn't even the same," you know, like it's so far behind curb, you know. And uh, this is, uh, you know, I think, uh, it, I mean, this is probably the most that anyone has ever talked about fucking comedy on a horror podcast. But it's uh, <laughs> like, you know, it's uh, I, I think there's something uh, important contextually, like uh, in the canon of studio movies. This is like a very like like it, it's an 80s comedy that was made in 1992, you know. I think that's a fair interpretation for sure. I also quite like the kind of weekend at Bernie's type <laughs> wrangling of the guy. <laughs> yeah, I love that. See, <laughs> right, like run, squeezing his face and like. <laughs> but see, like right, right when uh, the taxi driver kind of agrees to let him into the cab, and it immediately cuts to that wide shot of him just kind of like shuffling. Oh, it's super so that, like that really. Super, made me it's my favorite bit in the film. It's uh, it's well, I, I don't know if that's necessarily my favorite bit, but those kinds of jokes. What I will I say is he thinks very quickly on his feet there. I would never have come up with anything as involved and intricate as that at the drop of a hat. I'd have just been, I'd have just been running around screaming, bumping into stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a good bit. And and uh, I mean, Weekend at Bernie's is is one of my uh, favorite uh, horror movies. That's not really a horror movie. Weekend at Bernie's is yeah. extremely disturbing. <laughs> I think that when he gets back, when he gets home, I think that some of the kind of fish out of water kind of stuff that they do, yeah. with him getting used to the notion of invis- invisibility, is a lot of stuff. That I think a lot of the stuff that kind of endeared the film to me in the first act is that kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. When you know the whole thing of uh, trying to use chopsticks when you can't see your hands and stuff like that. I think that the a lot of my favorite things in this film are imaginatively using the kind of everyday inconveniences of being invisible that most of these kind of films wouldn't really lend any credence or any airtime to. Yeah, and that's and that's a big thing too. Like, like I like that it kind of. I mean, the invisible person films are so few and far between, actually. And it's like, in it, it, most of them don't really get into it. But like, I love the bit that he like, you know, because they have that whole noirish like voiceover thing going on. They're able to get away with some of that exposition. Like the idea that that you can't uh, that he's like sleep deprived because he can see through his eyelids. 
Yeah. You know, like, like I love that um, idea, like that, as you know, that uh, uh, they, they sowed some like real thought into it, um, you know, other than the fact that it's, you know, complete bullshit. But then once you pass that, you know, you, you know they, they actually put some cool character stuff in there. What I really like is um, that they never gets a chance to enjoy it. Like, um, you know, like in Big, when Tom Hanks becomes Tom Hanks, he gets a lot of time to really play with it and to, to be a grown up. Pretty much from the minute Chevy Chase becomes invisible, he's absolutely fucking miserable. Um, and he, he gets to explore it, but he never gets to really do anything fun with it, really. I like that it's a burden on him rather than at any point a gift. Yeah, I mean, there, there are like a fair number of like hijinks, but it's very, like, I think the movie does a good job of like keeping him kind of at his wits end. In terms of like, he's always like, you know, even though he's clever, he's constantly trying to have to like, prove himself and evade things and and whatever like and i think that's the best like like i think when a movie stops and just has too much fun like uh unless it's like a movie geared specifically for kids you lose like a lot of dramatic tension yeah i think i i think this film has a lot of fun with the conceit and virtually no fun with the character <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh that's actually a really good way to put it oh thanks <laughs> um, <laughs> uh but yeah like so um until this point we kind of learned that he's getting like he's kind of being chased by the fbi because they kind of have this uh this aspiration of him being a potentially very useful secret agent and things and one again another great visual thing and again it's quite a long visual thing is uh the chase sequence that kind of goes through the house with uh, it's, it's in chevy chase's it's in nick's building yeah when the guy comes in with like the red spray paint cannon yeah all that stuff i think that like uh again it's just like it just it, it builds really nicely into that and i think that that's a really it's a good first act kind of what i'm trying to say I don't know what you're trying to say. It's, I think it's a, it's, it's a good kind of endpoint to find out. It's a great set piece, I think. Ah, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of good uh, set pieces. Like I think it kind of it, it very much has like that you know again like '90s adventure movie set piece structure to it, where it's like oh there's the train set piece and there's the whatever you know not to jump ahead, but it's like it, it, it like it's always well you know like it has like you know the second unit directors working overtime kind of stuff where where where, where like you feel like they had to like talk about a, a visual variety of a lot of different things mm-hmm. um you know you know because this is like you know the time when they're pushing like under siege and stuff you know, like that <laughs> out in the theaters and you have to like you know compete you know with like speed and stuff uh, some of the just uh, to give you a kind of a, a bit of context on some of the films that came out the kind of top films in 1992 you had things like uh, aladdin you had things like home alone 2 Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. Bram Stoker's Dracula. So that's the kind of era that we're living in here. And uh, as we, as I know, because I watched it again last night, for some reason, Death Becomes Her. Oh, I fucking love Death Becomes Her. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and that's the other thing. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, that movie is super, like, strange and very, like, like almost unlike anything else that Zemeckis has done. Like, and there's such weird lens choices in that movie. Like, it's... I mean, hey, that 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 would be a great runner-up for one of these episodes if anyone else uh, wants to do that one. Because because again, that movie I think is a bit uh, probably less less uh, hated than this movie, but uh, but definitely uh, I think an underrated you know gem. Yeah, and kind of maligned in its way. I uh, we were just talking about this earlier. Actually, we were saying that it would be a good fit for the format. So if anyone wants to bring uh, Death Becomes Our on, any of the guests that we've got coming up, feel free to do that. Um, I want to hit on something, and uh, again, this is this is something that uh, from watching this for the first time as a 31-year-old Scottish man. Uh, <laughs> okay. Was um, that, like, so shortly after the kind of the chase sequence, and it's a cool chase, like, when he's getting chased and he's taking his clothes off and stuff, like, visually it was fun. Mm-hmm. But um, he tracks down the doctor from the 
uh, facility from the beginning. Dr. Vax. Dr. Vax. Uh, Jim, Jim Norton? Jim Norton, yeah. Uh, Tyler, I have no idea what the kind of transatlantic appeal of this was. But, like, <laughs> um, but basically, I know Jim Norton best as um, this character, Bishop Brennan, from um, a fairly like reasonably culty Irish comedy series called Father Ted. Bishop Len Brennan? Bishop Len Brennan, yeah. yeah. All of his stuff is extremely... Like, it's very much played for laughs. It's about the only thing I've ever seen him in that I remember seeing him in. Um, so it was weird in the middle of this thing, which is obviously kind of played for seriousness at the time. I was like, it's fucking Bishop Brennan. Father Ted, I have no idea if that had any penetration. Uh, no, I have never heard those words. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I just thought he was uh, just a guy who happened to get that part. Anyway. Anyway, thanks, Mitch. Yeah. <laughs> I want to jump on briefly to talk about a dream that Nick has um, when he's kind of coming to terms with his invisibility. He has a dream, obviously, just to kind of tie it into the earlier stuff where we're talking about Daryl Hannah, Alice. They have their tryst in the toilet. Whatever happens, happens. I don't know. I don't want to know. Yep, yep, yep. But whatever happens in that toilet happens, and they agree to meet on Friday for lunch. Now, as we know now, there's no chance in hell that Nick can meet her for lunch. Um, so he kind of has to flake on his date. But he has this weird dream at one point where he is kind of imagining their life together. And he opens his robe at one point to reveal to Daryl Hannah's understandable horror that his crotch area is completely blank and invisible. <laughs> his crotch area is very... Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a broad choice that sequence. I would say. I would agree, but what I would like, what what I did wonder was, that's his worst nightmare. So is it preferable then for him to be invisible, but just with a visible cock? <laughs> it says a lot, Freudian. Uh, you know, uh, uh, like uh, old school psychoanalytic sort of uh, themes. You know, but uh, I, I I wouldn't read into it. I think it's just that uh, it's both. You know, really about him coming to terms with the invisibility and how it's going to affect his life. But again, that's probably uh, the least interesting read of it. That's a very pragmatic answer. I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty disappointed that you don't think there's any philosophical undercurrent to that scene. Yeah. Well, I, ju- I just wondered. I just wondered at the mindset of someone where that was their biggest worry. I want to jump ahead, though, to when... So when he eventually takes cover and he goes to hide in George's beach, beach house. Because I, fi- I think you find out a lot about Nick as a character as this part of the film unfolds. Because obviously he gets there, there's more kind of visual fun to be had with the stuff with the delivery guy, yeah. things like that when he gets there. But I think that you learn, like, the film does a lot of its kind of dramatic heavy lifting when uh, George and Alice and uh, Richard? Richard, oh my god. Um, yeah. Appear. And so, I, like, R- Richard, for a start, I think, as he's like oh, this comedically stuffy. He guy, has the funniest voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah that guy is like, and he's like full on like the type of villain that you you know like um, you don't really see anymore. Like he kind of has that quality of that dude in like you know Goodwill Hunting, the dude who's like trying to like <laughs> out academic uh, fucking Matt Damon. Like yeah. he has that sort of like douchebag yuppie quality to him, which I love, you know. But he also kind of like has this very deep kind of voice, and I, I think he um, you know he's he's such a like uh, like he has this inescapable asshole quality. That, that you're just like, like, you know, like it, it allows you to get behind Nick because you're just like, this guy's bad news. Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's, yeah, I think no, this was a... The light and dark side of the force, you know? Yeah. I think if this was more of a kid's film, he would have been the bad guy. If you took out the really severely threatening government agency, he would have been the, the douchey bad, bad guy, like the bad guy in California, man. Yeah, like I feel like he's the type of guy who should play like Gaston or something like that. <laughs> <in> the, like... <laughs> 
Yeah, I know. Um, I, I think that he's, he's such an interesting spectrum of, like, bad guy traits. Because obviously, like, you get, like, super bad guy trait later when he kind of, like, forces himself on Alice. But he's also this kind of, like, kind of smug, condescending kind of guy. He's a little bit off-taking about um, everything when they get there. But also, he's but also just, it's all kind of done in this kind of neckerchiefed fop character. Good. Yeah, he's, like, preppy. Oh, he's awful. He's just awful. But no, he's a fascinating screen presence, though. The <laughs> that is, that, that's certainly true. Do we know? Do, do we know if he did anything else? I haven't even looked for a second into this man's background. You know what? I hadn't. Perhaps that's either. his real voice. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He's just a general, um, uh, you know, a like character actor. I think. Are you? Are you? You're, I'm guessing you're currently probably. Yeah, I, I, so I, I just I just quickly flipped over to Wikipedia to find out what's <laughs> going, you know he's been on like a lot of things. He was on Sliders, you know, Babylon right? Five. Okay. Apparently, he had a, a good '90s run. But but this actually, uh, I was going to make a point with this sequence because. Uh, this is going to be a very stupid reference, but did anyone ever see Modern Problems? It's another Chevy Chase movie from like the early 80s, like like 81 or something. No, but carry on. Okay, so like it, it's a very not like it's not particularly well like circulated film, but it was it, it, he had shot it like independently uh, and like Bill Murray's brothers in it, like Brian. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, and and it's but essentially like Chevy Chase is like. Again, just kind of like this this kind of lackadaisical sort of working guy, and he um, and he gets like a telekinetic powers in okay. a very like Zach like way, and then essentially <laughs> like goes on uh, like to like a beach house that's very similar to this uh, this whole set piece in Invisible Man. Like it's it's almost like this the same thing where they're like he's there and he has superpowers, and there's like another couple and they're like at a dinner party. Like it's sort of like he really liked the conceit of that other movie and just kind of pilfered that into this sequence. <laughs> like it, it, it's a very, like that's my, my filmmaker hypothesis about, about uh, this whole act of the, uh, of the invisible man and how that sequence came to be. I think it's based on this like made for TV movie called modern problems. They're like, I don't even think that director did anything else. Like it was just a very weird, obscure movie. It's like shot in like four, three, like I saw <laughs> it at the new Beverly a couple of years ago. Um, but it's just like, yeah, the mo- movie's not great. Do not, bother to watch it necessarily <laughs> a diehard invisible man fan or chevy chase fan but uh yeah flag that for for people who have uh too much time on their hands also at the risk of drawing another weekend at bernie's parallel we do, oh yeah we do have another yeah, we do have yeah. another beach house here a bit more of a, an oblique uh, weekend at yeah. bernie's uh, parallel but one nonetheless so we get the kind of we get the kind of apex of uh richard's kind of bad guy yeah. Stuff after this, like, when he, like I say, kind of forces himself on Alex. Uh, oh. uh, sorry, Alice, should I say? And uh, Nick's in the room uh, at the time. He throws him off her. And one of my favorite kind of subtle visual moments in it is after she kind of forces him out of the room, yeah. kind of thing. And she goes to close the door, and Nick's standing behind her, and he just kind of like leans in and just slams the door in a way that she wasn't gonna. And I remember just thinking that it was just one of those things that I thought was a really smart visual choice, something that I would not have thought of and something that I thought just I really enjoyed as a split-second moment. There are some quite smart moments in this. Another point I thought was quite smart is when Nick's kind of in the doldrums and he's walking down the street and the the bag snatcher grabs the bag from the old lady and uh, Nick just grabs it off his ha- out of his hands and just hands it back to the lady. Without but, breaking his stride. But you see it from Nick's point of view. You don't see it from the invisible perspective if you like um that really worked for me because he's really struggling at that point and he just does something kind of kind of altruistic because he can totally and and it's funny like i like i love that scene as well uh it's so simple but it's also like um 
like out of context, that wouldn't make any sense. Like if you didn't know that this was an Invisible Person movie, that scene wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I don't want to move past this segment too, without talking about uh, the scene where all the people that have come to the beach house have a conversation about Nick and obviously don't realize that he is in the room with them. And I think that that like, in a film that's kind of full of a, like a lot, even during the kind of darker stuff, there's a lot of stuff that's played for laughs and things. I think this is probably the like most straight faced sad moment in there. The kind of the film's best moment of like straight faced character drama. When uh, Nick's kind of just sitting there and he has to just kind of suffer through the people talking about him in this really bleak way and kind of having to realize the way that all these people viewed him. Yeah, definitely. And and there's something like like he, he has a lot of uh, like um, I know John Carpenter's mentioned like in interviews like that. That's about he doesn't talk about this movie much, but like there's <laughs> definitely a lot of like alienation that, uh, you know, that, that kind of comes from being like alone in a city and stuff like that. And I like the fact that like people who he, he thought and assumed that were his friends. And I think that's why he's there. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, he can kind of. Uh, you know, like sees what they they really think about him and realizes like, oh, I actually don't have any friends. Like, and then that's like, you know, it, 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 like the, the personal journey I think is very uh, interesting and appropriate. And and that's what what I think. You know, you, you're touching on like what I think makes this the best Invisible Person movie ever made um, <laughs> is the fact that it's very and hey, and that's not a particularly bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, if you're a if you're a film student just out there, just watch literally all five that you can think of. And write a paper on this, but like it, this is one of the only movies that has like character-based like invisibility stuff. Like, like whereas like it's like fucking Hollow Man and like the original like um, you know, Invisible Man. It's all about like it's like I went invisible and robbed a bank, you know. Like I went invisible and became like crazy and wanted to take over the world because yeah. I want to have this but power I'm a, or whatever. I'm this is like rapist, very much like about, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, and, and this is about a guy who doesn't matter realizing he doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's and that's. You know, that's really fucking beautiful and sad and hilarious and horrific. And, uh, you know, it's a great, like, Trojan horse, you know, uh, horrible thought to put into a studio comedy. And, and that's why I, I think it deserves, you know, some respect. I think that's a really, really good point. But no, I, I mean, I, I completely agree, though. I yeah. think that um, all of the things that I like best about this film, now you've said it, and I think that now we've had quite a lot of this conversation is that I'm realizing that all the things that would ordinarily be played for laughs kind of, and even when they are played for laughs, they still kind of largely inform Nick's kind of general misery. Yeah. And it's, and it's got as much to do, like what you see visually is the inconvenience of his current existence as being an invisible man. But what it's bringing about is perspective about his existence before he was invisible man. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's something. Um, and again, it's like very simple stuff. Like if you're invisible, you're going to hear people talking about you. You're going to get trapped places. You're going to like, you know, like they found a lot of different ways to deliver on that on that mechanism. Um, and they're all very subtle, clever things that are incorporated into blocking and stuff like that. And um, I don't know how much of that was, again, from the novel or how much of this is, is you know, in the direction and realization and, and screenwriting of it. But it, it's definitely, like, I think pound for pound, just more clever than than you'll yeah. see in, like, Hollow Man or, or any of the other Visible Person movies. No, I agree with that. It's running about this time, though. You do get a nice nod to the old 1933 uh, Universal Claude Rains Invisible Man where uh, they go out for dinner. Um, yeah. And uh, that's that face makeup with those white teeth. It's nightmarish. <laughs> that horrifies me to my core. Always has. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's pretty gross. Um, and uh, <laughs> but again, it's like it's again like it's pretty funny set piece. I, I I also like just how fucking weird he looks. Like like when uh, <laughs> like at various points when he like puts on you know paint and stuff like that, and it's just like so weird. <laughs> I think I think actually like, I, I really like 
again, it's just one of those things. Uh, it's just it's a really smart idea, and the way it looks is great. When you see her putting makeup on him, and you can see, yeah, it, and you can, yeah. and you can see it from both sides. You know, like, it's like because he looks weird when it's just her putting makeup on a face, but when you see it from the back, it's nightmare fuel. I think it's uh, actually quite quite a, an accomplished scene. I, I think there's a lot in this that's done far better than Hollow Man did it for sure. I mean, it's been a you know again, it's been a couple of years since I've 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 seen it, but like there's that really kind of interesting moment where where uh, like they're um, he's like it's, it, she's like it's good to see you, and he's like it's good to be seen, and and it's like and he's not talking about like you know like I don't think he's making a joke, and even though it does, but, but like it fits like dramatic mm-hmm. like dramatically and like from a character perspective, like you know it's good to have somebody to connect with, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like I think it's just a, such a very simple obvious kind of thing, but it's you know it, like the movie means very well in terms of just being sweet. Well, there are some legitimately other sweet moments in it, like when um, when he first kind of, when he first kind of meets Daryl Hannah, when he is invisible, they're, they're kind of chatting about the situation, and he says something like, I'm okay, I think I probably need a shave, and she says, can I touch you? And she strokes his face, and she says, do you know what, you do, you do need a shave. It's lovely because she can feel it, but she can't, she can't see it. I yeah. think that's just quite a nice little just one of those little moments that's quite nice between the two of them. Yeah, I, I wish it would have been a scene where he tried to shave, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That could have just, you know, led to some fun comedy. You know, it's like a straight razor or something with a very unforgettable. <laughs> <laughs> well, invisible blood. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, well and that's the other thing is, I, I, yeah, I mean, he doesn't, yeah. I, I've always kind of wondered about the, the invisible blood and, like, how that whole thing would work. Because well, yeah. he, I, and I, the one thing I do like is that they, they do. They um, again, it's like kind of a mechanism, but like you know, he went he went invisible wearing a suit. Yeah, and so he's constantly like having to find the fuck the same fucking suit. I was like, ta- I was talking about. I that. love that. that. Is a, I that love is a, that. That is a fucking nightmare scenario. <laughs> it's good for when you want to be invisible, but don't want to be naked. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's very funny to me because it also is a good excuse for him not to be you know naked the whole time, but. But the, the fact that he's got to wear, has to wear this one set of underwear for the rest of his life or whatever. See, but you that, do you do see him naked at one point. They open a door and he's just kind of standing there yeah. with, with like his hands over his crotch. So you do you do get that moment if you do want to see Chevy Chase naked ever in your life. <laughs> I, I I really like this as like one of the central jokes of the thing. I really do think that's brilliant. It's, and I think that as well, it's one of my favourite kind of honouring of the rules of the invisibility in the film yes. that they probably would have got away with not doing. Okay. You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. and, and, like they're like, well, I if think only, you mean if only his tissue was invisible. Yeah. I don't think, like, yeah. I, I know if, if that had been how it had been, how it said it would stall, you could have got away with it. But I love the fact that there was this, there, the way that they presented it had to, as part of the deal, have this strict adherence to having to find the suit every time. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I think that's pretty funny. It also, you know, um, it, I think if the movie was like the, the narrative was any longer, it would be a problem. But like, it, since it's, it takes place over a couple of weeks, like it's not a big deal. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> Um, right, I, I, I want to start driving towards the kind of kind of the end of this. Okay. Um, or like the end of the film, uh, they kind of they kind of try and make a getaway. Yeah, they do. Yeah. On a train, which uh, which does not pan out, <laughs> and um, so Alice is kidnapped. Nick escapes, mm-hmm. and uh, he has to kind of make the has to kind of negotiate. It's an interesting it's an interesting setup for the end, but I think that the. As a final standoff and as a final confrontation, there's a lot of quite interesting stuff going on there. <laughs> well, it comes hot. It comes hot off the back of an. Well, they had. They they do finally consummate the relationship. Oh yeah, yeah, they do. Which 
I don't want to get too, too into it right now, but it presents its own questions about uh, invisible sex, considering he couldn't see his own hands to work a set of chopsticks. Uh, <laughs> mo- uh, moving on from... Uh, I'm lowering the tone tonight. I'm sorry. But no, um, <laughs> when we get to the final set piece, I think that um, the idea that when, when he's talking to them over the phone mm-hmm. and you think that you can see him in the street and it turns out to be George in the Invisible Man gear... Like, that's a really fun bait and switch. Right, okay. I know what's coming up next, by the way. And it goes back to what Tyler was saying earlier about the early 90s kind of loose attitude towards sexism. Can we talk about the early 90s loose attitude towards uh, racism when he (laughs) browns up to play an Indian guy? Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not, it, the choice has not aged well, I mean, <laughs> I would say. Well, this is coming off the back, last week we, we did the ninth configuration with Heather Buckley, and um, something we actually didn't mention on the show is that Robert Lozier does a minstrel act in that. Also in blackface, yeah. Also in full blackface, so it's kind of two weeks in a row we've had these films with some decidedly ropey decisions that maybe haven't aged so well. I would say this is certainly up there with them. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, no, I mean, to be, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, I guess in, in his defense, um, in any sort of uh, thing that he painted would be trying to give himself some sort of appearance. So um, it's it's probably not as bad for somebody who, who is by default clear-faced to, to do this, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, like, it, it's still like, you know, he, he definitely, uh, you know, could have just gone for a more normal looking version of himself. Rather than uh, in, like, with like, like a fucking baseball cap on and some yeah. sunglasses, it on. could have gone. <laughs> it could yeah. have gone for the restaurant look, like, you know, like um, you know, like racist uh, cab driver. And it's it's the full turban and everything. Like it's it's quite bad. <laughs> it's quite. Yeah, bad. It's, it's it's definitely twenty eighteen bad. I wanted to like one of my like, I really like the uh, when he eventually in the kind of before they eventually make their escape he does kill jenkins or jenkins is killed by again just one of my like another really smart use of invisibility and specifically the invisibility of the clothing and like the set piece to kill san neil is based around kind of using his invisible jacket as a sort of math door trick yeah which which again is a really smart idea very and and you don't notice the setup because again it's like uh because you know it's presented not as a benefit like oh great my clothes are invisible it's preventative. Really, oh shit! I need to find my shoes. So it's like it's making it harder earlier on. Yeah. And then then he. Oh, but then through his own like cleverness, he's able to use the visible clothing to you know get away with it. Yeah, I thought it was a really cool thing. And like you say, I think it it, it took something that in the entire through the entire film has been framed as a disadvantage. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And, and it ends up being kind of like yeah, uh, the ace in the hole to kind of win the day at the end. Yeah, because even then, it's very much just an outline of a jacket. So it's not it's not in any way clearly a full form figure. It's like the shoulder and the lapel of a jacket. So, it, which is what it would look yeah, like. He uses that very slight thing to his benefit. Totally, and and I like that because like he's legitimately outsmarting, you know, like like Sam Neill, you know, and that's uh, you know, and I, I like that you know when you can kind of be surprised, and, and it's also in a very like a way that kind of welcomes you into the into his point of view, which which I think gives it a big a pretty big payoff. And then, uh, you know, like, I mean, uh, and then obviously from there, like, once he gets Daryl Hannah, then everything's going to, uh, he gets into this kind of idealistic gee whiz sort of ending from there. Um, but again, it's like, you know, there's a, um, uh, yeah, I do feel like it's kind of earned in, in a, you know, um, mm-hmm. sort of early 90s way. Yeah, I think that's fair. Sam Neill's fall from the roof is genuinely horrific. It's actually quite uh, a graphic fall because he falls right into shot with Daryl Hannah. That's um, right. Yeah. He falls into shot, through shot, out a shot it, you you feel like you've just watched it happen it always struck me this is a kids film essentially maybe not 
properly a kids film but, but no but like not like, a horror it's film, not an adult not, film yeah i was gonna say um yeah. without seeing anything you've seen everything um i always found that quite jarring but in a way that i quite liked yeah i always thought it could use a bit more splatter personally but, uh, <laughs> all over mick so you just see like, just yeah, all over just, like yeah like there would be a really great visual where he's just covered in fucking blood yes <laughs> that's <would be> amazing <laughs> It's a great shout. I love that. I love that as a final visual. That would have been good. Yeah, but no. Um, and then, like, say, as like once, once that's kind of done, and you you get this very idyllic credit sequence where well, you see that they've kind of uh, they've kind of escaped, and they've kind of started a life of their own and that kind of thing, which is all very nice. Yeah. One thing I do want to say is I think it was a great decision that they never turned him back to Nick. Yeah. He's always yeah, Nick, but they never resolved the invisible thing that he is invisible to the end of the film and presumably beyond. Into the future, yeah. And they have gone to Switzerland or wherever they were going together because he's now taken up skiing. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a genius thing to keep him invisible. But their their love for each other and their relationship has endured even though that's his condition. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and uh, you know, I, I wonder, wonder what the baby will look like, you know? Like well, that scary. was going to be my very next point. This is something I said to Mitch earlier. Are we expecting a half invisible <laughs> half normal baby like a bag of guts or oh yeah i mean i i, I just kind of assumed it would be like translucent you know like like a, like a skeleton like a skeleton no 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 like, like like it's all like you can sort of see through it like you know like it's like, kind of looks like, like casper yeah uh yeah yeah kind of like you know so you can sort of see, you can kind of see it but like it's not you know it's not 100 percent. you know i assume it's like a 50 50 sort of thing right well um uh, but uh, you know, but I, I, hey, the baby baby could be entirely invisible, and it'll probably just you know end up killing itself before it's two or three. Um, or, <laughs> that's quite that's or, quite depressed to kill yourself before you're two or three years old. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I, I, I had a um, holy shit working on, had an invisible kid in it, uh, and it's uh, it's it's uh, difficult to it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of questionable uh, logistic logistics around that. Um, but, uh, you know, he also, I mean, I guess the baby could also just look normal, you know, cause, cause I, I, this was obviously a thing that was caused to him that obviously affects all of his cells, but then who's to say how it would necessarily manifest in, you know, in, 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 in an offspring or whatever. But, uh, I, I like the idea that it's as, as, um, problematic as possible. I, I like <laughs> yeah. the idea that it's just like a bag of guts. As problematic as possible. <laughs> Literally just like, you know, you're saying that like, like you can sort of like, you can kind of see through the skin. So it's just like, there's a dangling, there's like a brain stem. Yeah. That's you know, just, like, but none of the bits kind of tie. Like there's like a brain and the stem and there's maybe one eye <laughs> and some ribs, like the building that got, uh, Oh yeah. 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 And Essentially. there's, there's like a lung and a stomach. Yeah, like, it looks it. like one of those, no. It looks like one of those like mannequins from like an anatomy class. Yeah, you know? like uh, Gunter von Hagen's plastination thing, the uh, body works thing that he did. Oh yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, memoirs yeah. of a guts baby. Yeah, and it's and it's probably like gonna be like a petulant, petulant teenager, you know, who like <laughs> is complaining that no one will ask him to the dance or whatever, and it's just like, even though it's just like literally like just these anamorphous like. You know, like dangling, like uh, you know, um, organs and such. Um, <laughs> Just the, the weird family photo before they go out to prom together with however the weird guts kid and his dad and his normal mom, like his dad with his weird fucking face paint. Okay. And just the really uncomfortable looking date. Yeah, well, I also like the idea that they'd be like really against it, you know, like like it, like using makeup and stuff like that, like <laughs> not to us older kind of thing. 
you know, like very disciplined about that, even though it's obviously a very different situation. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like if he was going out, it'd be like, don't go out looking like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, uh, but but unfortunately, this movie vastly underperformed, so we didn't get to see the, the uh, very horrible Invisible Family, Memoirs of Invisible Family, I guess. I really like the idea. Want- like, it's a shame that we didn't get a sequel where that where we had like a kind of moody teenager, because it would have been like mathematically kind of like early noughties. So your like moody guts teenager would have listened to loads of new metal, and it probably would have played out like kind of like some sort of weird extension of like Blair Witch Two. Or Hollow Man. With like a yeah, super I mean, new metal it, soundtrack. Hollow yeah, I mean, Man. You know, there's still time. Maybe we could, uh, you know, put the hard pitch to uh, Warner Brothers and say like, hey, we want to do, you know, like like the Invisible, uh, Norris Invisible Man sequel that no one's asking for and uh, see if they'll, you know, because, I mean, you know, the DC Universe is in trouble over there, but maybe it's in trouble enough that they'll greenlight something like this. <laughs> um, and we can literally just, uh, you know, like, uh, like, like revisit it and... Um, you know, uh, John Carpenter can score this one. Yeah, and, let's, uh, let's let's spec script this you up get, right now. Uh, you could get Chevy back. He did that uh, Lamp- well, National Lampoon you know, sequel. You even really need to get Chevy back because he's not even he's invisible most of the time. So like that's true. <laughs> get him for a couple days of voiceover, and then that's it. Yeah, you could do the whole thing. With Imagine Skype. you just didn't have a minute at all. It was just his voice. Super. Yeah, there's just there's enough Chevy Chase like like audio out there that you just kind of like make just your own sequel. Splice it together. <laughs> splice it together from him talking about Christmas trees. Yeah, or I mean, or do you even need you, you just get like a Chevy Chase sound alike? You know, like 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 there's. I mean, he he lifts right out of that sequel. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, I, I, I like. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think we should immediately start a group chat and start really like brainstorming this. But I think um, the platform is not for here. Tyler, I thought this was an interesting choice, and I must say that this is one of those ones that I came into this conversation thinking <laughs> that, um, like, my assessment of it when I finished it for the first time was that I kind of found it more visually interesting than I engaged with any other element of it, and I would say that that's changed quite a bit over the measure of this conversation as we've spoken a little bit more about the character stuff and kind of how how dark it goes, but how subtle it is in how dark it goes and like in how it does that, should I say. Yeah. I think that like, I have kind of I've kind of got a little bit more of an appreciation of exactly how heavy a character piece it is for the Nick character. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I would say I've taken quite a bit out of it in that way. Great. I'm I'm glad to hear that I've been able to trick you into liking this movie slightly more. Um um you know, I appreciate you taking the time to uh uh, you know, have me on and uh, let me plead my case here. No, absolutely. And uh, Andy, what's your take as well? I quite like it. It's, I mean, it's it's not it's not a particularly challenging watch, but I think there's more going on in it that deserves a look than not. But I mean, it's it's pretty predictable. And you, the only thing to me that I remember thinking I'm surprised by that was that he's still invisible at the end. Yeah, which is a big decision. Yeah. Uh, I was very much of like I said earlier I, I drew a kind of parallel to Big and I think I was very much thinking well he's going to go but something's going to happen Dr. Vax is going to come back and turn them back into like a fleshy but I'm glad they didn't it's a film I haven't seen maybe seen a handful of times if that and uh, yeah it's a film that I, I quite enjoyed Tyler before we wrap this up I want to take a minute to talk about um, I want to talk about your own work for a sec oh really okay yeah if that, <laughs> I mean if that's okay unless you would rather go yeah, yeah. I mean, or we can call it <laughs> Or we can call it here. I, I, I'm just saying this is much more. Uh, talking about other people's movies is much more fun. Yeah. yeah no, I mean, I'm. Uh, so I mean, like, I, I like. I mean, uh, we met in Glasgow when you were over in 2016 to Fright Fest with uh, Patchwork. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, which 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 is a, a film that I love. I've made a lot of people watch that since then. Oh, oh, thanks. I appreciate you uh, forcing them into it. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, that was one of my very very uh, favorite screenings uh, of that movie, uh, just because it was um, my first exposure to the fright fest energy. And, yeah, like, the, atmos- about- the, the atmosphere in the room was pretty special that night. I thought it was great. Yeah. And it was it was it was also just very surprising because I also think I, I that movie kind of benefited from like tremendously low expectations and continued to and continues to um, like 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 even on like in the program like other than like Alan and I think Paul and maybe Ian had seen it like it, it, like a not not a lot of people knew what it was or what the hell was happening or or anything like and and so it was uh, it played particularly well I think because people weren't expecting to enjoy it as much as they did and uh, and that really. Um, you know, like help me because I, I, I've, um, you know, was just getting into the idea of like introing screenings and doing Q and A's and trying to talk to people about movies I made and stuff. And uh, and uh, it, that was a really good experience to just kind of have such a positive vibe and um, and everything, and then uh, you know carry that on into other projects. And uh, speaking of other projects, and then... uh, yeah, like uh, like yeah, the, the the next time that you were over, or at least uh, you were in London with Tragedy Girls, closing the festival in London in 2017. So Tragedy Girls, do we? Um, so first off, I want to like, I remember talking to you about it at the time, but Tragedy Girls for me, and I don't want to just sit here and over enthuse when we have someone on, but I do genuinely believe that Tragedy Girls is my favorite slasher movie I've seen since Scream. Wow, Jesus. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. Um, yeah, that's uh, um, very generous. Yeah, I definitely like you know I grew up well, you know loving a lot of slasher movies and uh, and uh, you know so um, and you know when Scream hit when I was a teenager it, it was um, you know a big kind of watershed sort of moment and now it, became, it really kind of gave horror a lot of legs and so I've always kind of looked you know looked up to that movie because it's just such a real you know like a brilliant film that stands the test of time and you know has gone down in horror history as being you know such a like a seminal work mm-hmm. and uh so so I, um and i'm glad that i could you know bring at least some of those ideas or, or like vibes kind of back to to uh to some people and i'm, I'm glad people pick up on 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 that stuff you know because i think it's easier to focus in on like the social media aspect of it and stuff like that and um and uh like uh e- e- there's sort of like a vapid quality to it that i think um you know where screen plays it very real or like very sorry very real and we we play a little bit more of an exaggerated kind of tone, and um, so. But I'm, I'm glad that even despite the, like a lot of the differences, like tonally, uh, people are are making some comparisons to that, and like Heather's and a few other of like our more um, you know specific uh, you know influences, and uh, yeah, and and you know, and it's been uh, like, the reception of that movie has really kind of changed my career, and um, you know the type of projects I'm able to try next, and I'm very thankful for it. Well, that is superb. I can't um, really, I can't really say too much more than that. It is a superb film. Yeah, it's one of my favourites in the last, in the last little while, really. Do we know what's going on with the UK release for that yet? Uh, I don't. I actually sent an email yesterday asking again, what the hell? Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, I, I get, it, it's a little bit of a different situation than Patchwork because, like, I you know, obviously was a, like a producer on that movie, and you know, like my production company like owns it and, and control controls it, and we so, you know, like, and, and we have a much closer relationship to our distributor. Um, whereas this time around, like, like I, I don't own the rights to Treasure Girls, even though like I was very creatively involved in it. Okay. Um, so, so I, I'm not as directly, um, you know, but like I, you know, I've, I've been uh, getting on their case as much as possible to to have it released uh, in the UK and um, a few um, uh, like uh, uh, like uh, like Brazil. I know has also been kind of like because we had a really good couple of really good screenings there. And so, like a lot of the international markets are not are not getting hit as hard as, as we want, um, or there there have been deals there that were made, and then something happened within a company that we weren't be able to, you know. So, like Canada, like where I'm from, is still kind of waiting for it too. Okay, which is also right. 
so like it, it's it's something you guys aren't the, the only ones but but it's been it's a little bit frustrating because it's been outside um uh in in the u.s for a while but um uh yeah hopefully we um i have some news and i'll tweet that out as soon as i as I know. Yeah, of course. Um, is there is there anything else? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you want to plug just now? Or are you cool with just uh, letting us know where everyone can keep up with you? Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, literally. I mean, everyone wants to add me on on Twitter at tmacfilm. Um, uh, you know, I, I have a Vimeo page that, that gets sporadically updated, but uh, usually which is short films and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, you know, really, I'm the easiest person in the world to reach. So you know, uh, let me know. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say that uh, you know, I've got a couple of projects uh, coming up that I'm. I'm excited about. It. I, I I can't talk too much about, but um, I think uh, uh, we're working on my first studio feature right now. It's a movie called Nightlight. Okay. Um, which I think I might I might have mentioned uh, to you before. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it was um yeah yeah it's like it's like a dark version of Home Alone. Uh, you know, and so it's a really kind of kid centric kind of cat and mouse thriller, which I think is going to be a ton of fun. Okay. Um, and I'm still uh, hoping to. Well, uh, Bob Shea actually who did like Nightmare on Elm Street uh, as producer is uh, is producing it, and, and so we're hoping to to just, start uh, production on that before the end Bob of the year. Shea. And, just Bob Shea. That's fine. <laughs> you know, he, he did a little movie called Lord of the Rings. Maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, just, uh, he just tossed that one away there, like it, like it went no fang. Uh. Well, it, yeah, it's it, that's I mean, it's pretty amazing because I, I grew up watching all like you know yeah. the New Line movie stuff like that, and like you know, so he'll just like casually drop it, like you know, like really crazy stories, like oh yeah, you know, when we made Ninja Turtles, you know, like or whatever, <laughs> or like you know, I was on I was on set with Wes Wes Craven, you know, and then you'll be like, what the fuck are you doing, or like. So he like you know starts every second story with like, so we were at this uh, bar in Germany and Werner Herzog got in a fight with some guy and I'm just like what is what is your life like it's just like you know it's absolutely bonkers but um but yeah man super accomplished uh, very very cool guy um cool. and been super supportive of us so um I'm excited to to you know uh, get, get that one going and then um, we also have a television project. Uh, in the works that uh, we're just working through the deal right now, which uh, which um, is kind of more of a mystery comedy, but uh, okay. Okay. we're very excited about that too. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, of course, guys. Uh, thanks so much for for uh, thinking of me for this. Hey, I mean, I think it's a super fun format. I mean, you know, like, it's, and and just blindside people as much as you can with that thirty second thing. I think it'll be. It'll <laughs> Yeah, I think the less people know about that going in, the better. Yeah, the, the, the worry is the worry is though that get people actually start listening. Yeah, if if they know it's coming, that ship is fucking sunk, man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I feel like if I if I had like if I had known about that beforehand, I would have prepared something, and it wouldn't have been nearly as as off putting for myself. So you know, it's good, good to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Really Thanks, Tyler. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, talk soon. So, Tragedy Girls director Tyler McIntyre uh, joined us there and made, I think, some pretty compelling arguments uh, for the merits of Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yep, how's your arm? From all the twisting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yes. Um, you weren't particularly... You went particularly bowled over, let's say, when we were talking about this. We were uh, kind of social media messaging each other, uh, kind of watching it t- together a bit apart. Yeah. Um, and you went particularly bowled over. I think it took you a few tries to get through. But you seem to have come down on the, yeah, on the okay the... side of it. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, this film, I would say that for this particular week, I would say that this caught me in the wrong... This caught me in the wrong mood. I was not particularly set up for watching a kind of kooky sci-fi comedy romance. <laughs> um, so it did take me a couple of goes to get through it. But... And I came out of it, and I didn't come out of it thinking it was bad. I came out of it thinking that just on this particular week, it was kind of hard work. Um, what would you? What would have been your preference? 
your preference then? Oh, I'm a Serbian film. Wow. <laughs> okay, wow. I am, Fuck, I, yeah. am, I am, of course, joking. Uh, philosophy of a knife. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. No, like, um, that's no, a great fucking like, film, yeah, but by no, the way. Nothing like that, but basically just like, I think that uh, the, my go-to wasn't something this whimsical. You are, you're meant to be the sunshine kid here, and I am still the sunshine kid. It's still in there, but like, well, okay. I say, but no, but this week I would say I wasn't necessarily set up to watch something like this, and as a result, I kind of came away from it thinking that I thought that it was more visually cute than engaging in any other way. Um, <laughs> which I now think is a harsh interpretation, and I think that that's why I like the fact that we invite people to choose a film and talk mm-hmm. about why they love it because oh, I think that like. Um, when people talk about something passionately like Tyler did, I think that you tend to gravitate towards it a little bit more. Um, and it kind of, I think that if somebody, you know, you don't have to sell someone in something, but if somebody can just kind of inform the way you look at something and make you look at it in a different light and kind of thing, I think that's all it needs to be. You don't have to come out converted. You don't have mm-hmm. to want to be like, this is now something that it's going to enter my rotation. Okay. I don't love this like I love the ninth configuration. Right. Okay. But like, but it's great in its way. It's got a lot, it's like, it's got a lot of merit that I possibly i think that i've it took this conversation for me to kind of appreciate that okay okay yeah i get that yeah that's fine i'm still very much of the opinion that while i know there was probably a lot of studio shit going on in the background and interference and stuff like that i still find that just a bit pedestrian okay, and a okay. Bit predictable yeah, yeah yeah but it's by no means a bad film it's fun. It's daft, but it's inoffensive. And I think like I find it quite an an enjoyable watch in a way. Would you call it a romp? No, I wouldn't quite go so far as a romp. On a scale of one to romp, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not. I wouldn't put it in. I wouldn't put it in romp category. No, I don't think it's a romp. Either. I feel like uh, it's missing some of that. Some of the the moments we talked touched on where where perhaps Chevy could have enjoyed being invisible yeah it's true it's, i think those moments would potentially elevate it into the romp like if he was pulling girls bikini tops down and all that kind of stuff yeah, if was you that, know if it was, like, if it was a little bit more carry on yeah if he was in the women's shovels <laughs> i mean don't get me wrong i'm infinitely i'm infinitely grateful that that wasn't oh, thank, where it went. thank the very fucking maker and um and um, that it was so much like because and i think that's something else and it was kind of stuff that you touched on it's like it's as it's kind of a bleaker character piece i think it works better for being that yeah i like the fact that it's very much an analysis of a guy going what the fuck do i do now yeah like, and having to deal with the very everyday inconveniences yeah. of and there are everyday inconveniences that he can't he has to order transparent food which aside from water sprite i don't think exists yeah there's not too much more um but turn their attentions to any other business as okay kind of to do. yeah so we're gonna forgo a feedback section for this episode and that um, is not because we're ignoring any of the any of the chat that we've had this week because yeah. there's been loads of it as it always has been yeah. thank you for doing that but basically as we touched on in the last episode we've kind of made the call that we're going to move the feedback section to the mini so we're going to start doing that effective Mondays. Yeah. I am saddened by that in so much as it means that we're coming to the end of this evening. Yep. But um, I'm also heartened by it that it does mean that we do have more of a balance in the kind of stuff that we're putting out in terms of duration. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, one of the nicer things that people have said since we started doing this is that minisodes feel a little thin. Yeah. And they have broached uh, in a very... Uh, well, let's not talk about the seven-minute car park fiasco again. Yeah, but, uh, hell. but yeah, like, um, so it's it's um, it's a handy way, and I think uh, I think a useful way to beef out the minisodes is to spend a little bit more time on the feedback that we've been getting because we have been getting a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, and please do keep that coming. But yeah, so um, everything that we would normally read out here, um, you know, we're not we're not ignoring it in any way. We're just maneuvering it, and we just had to have a gap. Yeah, where we just so, migrated that stuff. On Monday's Minnesota, expect a little bit more. Of course, and uh, don't forget, of course, if you do want to stay in touch with us, and we love it when you do, there's loads of ways to do that. You can get us on Facebook and Instagram, <laughs> that's Strong Language Violent Teens. You can also tweet us at Strong Violent PC, and you can also email scenes at gmail.com. Yep, and um, I'm going to preface this by saying this is in no way us asking anybody for any money. Okay. But we do have a PayPal under scenes at gmail.com. Um, so if you do like what we're doing and want to continue to help us uh, grow and uh, kind of thrive and kind of take this to the next level, then feel free to chuck us just a couple of quid. No expectation on anyone to do that. No. Um, the PayPal exists more for our uh, business reasons than anything else. Yeah, it's a facility that does exist and we do have plans to kind of grow and expand and kind of take this on the road and go to meet people more than maybe Skyping people so often. Particularly people who are based in the UK. Yeah, um, For sure. Uh, who we could maybe just uh, Jump hop on, a, on train. a train and go and see rather than um, spend uh, so much time kind of wrangling potential sound issues and hoo-ha so yeah if you want to see us continue to do this and do it on a larger scale then every little bit helps but please 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 nobody feel in any way obliged to send us anything because nothing's going to change we're never going to charge anybody for anything no i mean like the the main episodes of the minisodes they will always be free yep that's absolutely true um the one thing we would ask people to continue to do is keep engaging, keep sharing, keep liking, and just keep trying to get people involved. Like that's something that we've really been heartened by is people just tweeting out, listen to strong strong language and violent scenes. Why aren't you listening to strong language and violent scenes? Hey, such and such. Hey, this podcast. Why don't you go and listen to strong language and violent scenes? That stuff's fucking amazing. It really has been class, and and that's always the thing. It's it's really heartening because nobody like you know. There's no expectation on people to do that, so I think the fact that people have felt inclined to keep in sh- to keep sharing stuff, keep talking up, has been amazing, and it's really nice that there has been this kind of f- this following that's kind of sprung up around it so yeah. early, and it's all been totally organic. We so yeah, we far, haven't spent a penny on boosting spent, posts or anything yeah, like that. We haven't boosted anything. This has all been just I would say off of our back, but it hasn't been. It's been off the people who are listening's back. Yeah. Um. The only reason I would say people are listening is because that people are giving a fuck yeah and um, helping so, getting the word out there so that's amazing so please 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 keep continuing to do that above and beyond anything else anything else absolutely but yeah keep liking keep sharing and most of all just keep fucking listening yeah that's the only number that really counts ready for this much oh yeah Segway. oh and there are ways shit. many ways for people to continue to listen to us is there yeah there are there are there are yeah you can listen to us on stitcher spotify mm-hmm. itunes google podcasts and our good old pals up oh, been. Been. Yeah, absolutely. Good guys, good guys. Take Top guys. But yeah, we will be back on Monday. Yes, indeed. 8 a.m. Uh, where we announce another guest and another film. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so join us then if you can. And in the meantime, don't forget that it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Good night. I want my molecules back! You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain, production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes and Podbean.